0: My dad would cook for him, and all the guides lived in this little. We called it the Mouse Mahal. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack.
1: I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. Because- <laughs> all right, guys, welcome back. Thank you guys for bearing with us. Here we've had a little break with hunting season, but uh, we're gonna ramp her back up here. We've got a few good guests in line, and. We're really excited about today is we got Jeff Hood. Um, a bunch of you guys have probably heard of his product and a bunch of you guys have probably used it. Um, can't wait to get into that. And I know we're excited. I know I'm excited. I know Ira is about having this conversation. Jeff, thanks for joining us, man.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: So we talk about this on this podcast about, you know, entrepreneurship and we talk a lot about hunting and, and how we get into things and, you know, how kind of the pieces fall together. Jeff, first tell us a little bit, about what your product is and well tell us a little bit about what your product is and how long have you been in this business
2: uh okay so our product our main product right now is the ice ripper um you know it's electric one horsepower motor uh similar to an ice eater circulates water keeps ice from forming that's our that's our biggest you know staple product right there but we also have our six and a half horsepower gasoline big rip which is a complete monster it does the work of like five standard ice rippers and then also just a couple weeks ago we launched another new product called last grass which is a synthetic plastic um, camouflage grass if you will Um, sold loosely but yeah, those are our three main products. We've got a few, you know, uh, parts and pieces uh, that we sell for other people's units to help make those a little more durable as well. Aluminum propellers for the ice eaters, uh, stuff like that. But definitely our, our one horsepower ice ripper is our uh, most common product. And this is J-
1: and for you guys that have followed along, this is J2 Outdoors, the ice ripper. Um, if you guys have seen it, it's like, and I hope I'm describing it right, Jeff, but it's basically. It's a unit and it's got like a stand uh, and it's got it's really easily adjustable. And so the thing I love about the product is you can go down like in a marsh type setting or or sheet water even type setting. You can go down so low that an ice ice eater like the Mallard ice eater would never be able to operate in the water level that this can operate in and I love them and they're they're easy to carry around they're light. I've carried them in public multiple times but I just like the varying the varying depths on them and and I know that's got to be a, a selling point.
2: Yeah yeah that's definitely a huge selling point. Uh, we can run in as little as 10 to 12 inches of water whereas the standard barrel of the ice eater, you know, you're going to need like two foot of water to cover it up or dig a big ass hole to sink it down in the hole and get enough water. And even then it's going to cavitate so bad that it's um, not going to be very effective anyways.
1: For sure. Well, so when J2 started, what was the, like, was it, you just looking there, you know, they say, uh, you know, the best, the best, there's a saying about it, but basically the best products come apart, you know, come by, you know, somebody having experiences in their life that, you know, they need to they see a need for for a change in an industry how long have you been building these units and when did you when you started was it just like hey let me try this like i got an idea or how did the how did the idea come to you
2: yeah no that's that's a that's a good story they say uh they say some of the most uh productive products come out of necessity or you know whatever that saying is but that that couldn't be more true about what happened to us um you know, I I have no college education. I went straight into the workforce after school and uh, – or after high school. And, um, you know, I, I worked for a bunch of years. Never never made a huge living. Everything I made – What industry? What like, industry, Jeff? Fire protection. So uh sprinkler, fire alarm, um, stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, so I started doing that, and I just didn't have the extra money. You know, I, I always wanted – to not go out there and just break ice by hand. Um, I never had the extra $800 to go spend on a Mallard View ice heater. So I I built my own. Um, I built my own and the very first one was January of 2017. And at that time, we had just finished building a brand new house. We had, uh, we had just found out uh, that we had twins on the way. We were, uh, yeah, yeah, we were, uh, we knew that she was pregnant for a few months and, Then right there at the end, they told us that there was twins in there. And of course, you know, I started freaking out about affording all that stuff. But anyways, I made my first unit in January of 2017. The girls were born in May of 2017. And, you know, money was just tight. It was really tight. Paying for daycare for twins and diapers for twins and just everything like that. Um, So we started to figure out how to substitute some of that or you know how to make a little extra income to pay for some of these expenses, um, and in August we started selling a very very crude, very very crude but very similar version to what we have right now of the ice ripper, and uh, you know the whole the whole purpose there was to cover daycare costs, and uh, we we did that our first year we covered. We covered a whole year's worth of daycare costs that first that first season that we were selling just handmade things right out of my garage, and uh, yeah, it all kind of started spiraling after that.
1: So, take me from that initial you you buy one, you sell one, and then you're like, hey, I'm gonna try because because you know I think a lot I think a lot of what keeps people keeps people from doing some of this stuff. Um, You know, in order to really get yourself out there, you got to get yourself out there. You know, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm offering. This is my business. If it doesn't work, that's embarrassing. You know what I mean? I Just that for lack of a better, you know, Ira's in the vet game. Obviously, Ira, you know, there's a different set of challenges there. But you know that people are going to need veterinary service in a metropolitan area. Like that's, there's a tons of costs and risks and it has to be professional and it costs a ton of money. And and I'm not trying to say that, oh, but but you knew that you were going to have demand for your service you know whether or not all the other stuff fell in the line whatever but you knew you're gonna have demand for your service you know it's I, I've gone out of my own Jeff what you're saying though is you know I'm just thinking like okay I'm gonna try this what if nobody calls I mean you know then all of a sudden you're just the you're the multi-level marketing guy on Facebook you know trying to pedal stuff you know like that's how I always look at it like I'm the guy that puts yourself out there and all of a sudden you know none of it works I mean I feel like that has kept a lot of good ideas in the can, in the think tank. And, and so what was it like when you first put it out there and like actually started getting some sales? What kind of feeling was that?
2: Man, it, it was, it was an unbelievable feeling. Um, you know, I, I, it was a, kind of a weight lifted off my shoulder in a sense, but also a whole nother weight being put on my shoulders. Um, but yeah, no, it, and that's how I did it. I, I just launched a few posts on Facebook and got some feedback, and, and I never sold more than what I could handle, you know, I just advertised that I, I've got five to sell, and I always built them before, you know, before people paid, I always had, you know, a batch of them, say, like, five of them ready to go, and they just sold, they sold faster than I could build them, and then I'd build the next batch of, like, 10, um, and it just, it just kept growing and growing, and then the summer of the following year, of august 2018 we launched publicly i guess you'd say at the rogers waterfowl festival and uh man it just it blew up after that it was we were getting orders from rogers we were getting interest from other large companies to you know help market the product and uh partner and you know actually that was the the very first day i met ira as well up there at that event so uh that that definitely started um started the actual business at, at, before it was kind of more of a hobby obviously we were making money but it was nothing structured like it was after that waterfowl weekend
1: so ira you yeah. see, you've seen a lot of products come and go ira obviously junk shit and good shit and stuff that you know is going to work and stuff that you know is not going to work but you've used the you've used the ice ripper quite a bit i know um when you when you first saw the product idea, were you like, "Damn, this this is cool"? I mean, what was your thought when you first talked to Jeff?
0: No, I mean, I I didn't really know, but um, you know, I, through the years, there there've been a lot of guys like Jeff that uh, that you know want to talk to me about their product, want some advice about what what direction I think they should go, or or you know, if if they should go wholesale, if they, if they should just stay direct to consumer. All kinds of different things. But I think the common theme among everything there and, and most things in success is you've got to find a value proposition. So, you know, there was a product out there. It, it was expensive. It had certain, definitely several limitations. Most of those we touched on. Um, so this was a cheaper option. It was easier to get around. It was lighter. You could use it in shower water. I mean, we're checking a bunch of boxes right there, right? So he found the value proposition, and uh, then it's a matter of of making decisions along the way that position you to be able to sell more and make more and become more profitable and actually go from having just a good idea. And all of our all of our initial samples are crude. I mean, he talks about how the first ones were pretty crude. Well, that's extremely common. I mean, if you saw some of the stuff that I've bent and zip tied and taped and all that and put together that are now, you know, products that are, that are very streamlined and, and uh, it really helped people to have a better experience that that's the way that it goes. Um, But if you want to be successful, you have to find that value proposition in any product. And then you got to build a brand and you got to drive sales. And uh, you know, it's easy to say all those things, but it's not necessarily easy to get all those things done.
1: That's for sure. So so Jeff, I, I got a I got a bigger industry question for you, Iram I and Jeff too. But so Jeff, you are doing direct to consumer and retail, correct?
2: That is correct, yes. Are you just in Rogers? Uh we're in Rogers, Presley's, uh, Paducah shooting supply out in Paducah, Dunn Sporting Goods in St. Louis, um, and just a couple other like little smaller mom and pop shops.
1: So, you know, it seems like It seems like, and I'm not trying to, I don't give it two shit. I mean, it's just, I'm just looking at it. I don't have a product I'm selling. I'm just looking at it, you know, from a, from an outside lens. But, you know, you've seen this big push to go to -to direct-to-consumer from some of these companies. And it seems like they, you know, some of these guys do the direct-to-consumer thing. And it seems like there's obvious advantages to direct consumer And we're not, you know. For guy, everyone listening, obviously, you know what I'm talking about, but direct to consumer would be, you know, the the guy that's making the product, selling that product via online, a storefront, whatever, their own without dealership, you know, without a dealership. So they keep all the money, they keep all the the profits, they don't split it with dealers. There's no, there's none of that. That all sounds good, obviously. But then what some folks find out when they try to go DTC is it's like, whoa, these retailers like Rogers, Max, Dunn's, Presley's. Cabela's, Bass Pro, these retailers can actually move a bunch of our product. So is it worth selling, not selling through that channel and you know, have to give up a little bit of of, of the the other few points on the margin? Or can I just do it all myself? If you think you're gonna do it all yourself, though, you better have a pretty badass marketing machine. You better be getting some eyeballs on it. And so there's there's good and bad, but we've seen it. Ira, what? What are, you know what I'm trying to say here? Just it's just an interesting way that different companies are looking at. It. And then you see some guys go DTC and they actually try to kind of slide back into the retail, into the retail model. What what are your thoughts on that right now? And you know, as somebody who had product, you know, well, there's what, a
0: million ways that we could talk about it. Um, but what did but, you
1: sell most? Though were you more DTC or did the retailers move more of your product when you owned the company, Momarsh?
0: Here's the way I always looked at it, like. The retailers were my insurance policy on inventory. So like I knew that if I built a million dollars worth of inventory and I sold them a million dollars worth of product, I was I was safe there. Assuming they paid their bills like, you know, my inventory costs were covered and then anything that they reordered after that. So I still had twice that much product. Anything they reordered after that was all profit. Or if I sold something direct, that was all profit. And so that, you know, if you're if you're only direct to consumer, there's more inventory and financial risk there because you're the only one covering that. So let's say you build a million dollars worth of in inventory and it takes you a year and a half to sell that million dollars worth of inventory or to to have a million dollars in gross sales, you still haven't come close to covering your costs and and plus unless you're independently wealthy, you're you've got that money borrowed, so it's costing you A lot of money every month so there's there's goods and bads of of having a wholesale model um but for me being at least partially wholesale was a hedge against my risk
1: that makes sense i mean so when you would do that though when you would do that though so you're talking about the retailer's they would come to you like by a certain date and be like, we want to order X amount of pallets of this product and this product and this product and this product, correct?
0: Containers. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, most of that stuff that was for them, I never touched. Like they'd say, Hey, here's, here's my order. And I'd cube it out. And I'd say, well, how about we tweak it this way or that way or whatever, so that I never had to touch it. I never had to uh, warehouse it. I never had to unpack it. I never had to repack it. And of course we gave them an additional bump for that. So there was that, there was that price. And then there was a reorder price that was higher. But but for all the stuff that I knew I had no risk in right off the top, that would cover pretty much everything that I had in my warehouse as well, as far as costs went. So and so that it just was a, you know, you're you've got guaranteed income coming. So you can like in the beginning, I went to the bank and I said, Hey, I want to borrow some money. And here's my plan on how I'm gonna repay it, but I need a line of credit. And so, you know, I would basically float that line of credit for about 60 days, because it would be about 60 days from when I had to pay for the product. And then they had so it took about 30 days to get it, and then they had 30 days to pay it. So, you know, I'd only have to float that money for about 60 days, which is a short period of time. And so, and the bank was like, Well, sure, we we see the purchase orders. So their risk was mitigated and limited by the fact that they're lending me X amount of money, but they can see the purchase orders that are in hand. So they were super comfortable lending me the money because they could see that there was going to be cash coming in. So, you know, if you went to the bank and said, hey, I want to build a million dollars worth of ice rippers, the bank doesn't want 500 or a million dollars worth of, you know, metal and pumps right. and, uh, and, and whatever, you know, so. There's a big difference there. And that's how, in my opinion, the retailers can hurt you. But, you know, they it's a fine line, um, especially if you get kind of up there where, you know, you're noted and you've got social media presence and all that. And, you know, you got to be a little careful about how aggressively you target your community of of uh, of, of people that you're selling direct to. Um, otherwise, you might get some phone calls. But my my answer to that is always, hey, man, for you to have more sales, I need to do a good job of building my community so that when people walk into your store, they go, I want to buy an lab. I want to buy an Invisalab. I want to buy, buy, buy whatever. So I have to do that aggressively on my side. And sure, part of that's going to be through promotion, sales, discounts, uh, free swag, whatever. But I'll worry about that part of it and you worry about getting people through your door, and then you can sell them the product because they're there. So, you know, <clears throat> that that's the way I always kind of approached it.
2: Yeah, and I, I agree. You know, we use our retailers to uh, kind of cover our costs for the year, and then everything else that we sell direct is kind of more of our profit.
1: And, you know, I always – I probably think of things different than a lot of people. You know, I give away – and, I mean, Ira did the same thing with Mo Martian. Jeff, I know you do the same thing. I mean, like there's certain transactions. When I say transaction, there's certain things that you do or that a business owner is going to do. And I feel like not all of those. Can you see the reward? Like, you know, you might have to, you might have to talk th- somebody through service or or a, or a fix on a product, or you might have to with a retailer go and make an extra trip or two over there that you didn't want to mess with. Or you might give, Ira, you know, we would give away hats and shirts and and things like that. I feel like sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? Like I am wasting so much time and money giving this stuff away or going and doing this for free. But it's like, if you if you have to have a dollar for every single thing that you do, you need to be an employee. Like that is the way that I look at it. It's like if I have to be paid for every hour that I'm working and everything that I'm doing, I need to go back and work where somebody's paying me per thing that I do. And so I guess what I'm trying to say on that is it's all a bigger, it's there, there's a bigger picture to it. And it's hard to quantify, but even if they don't buy it at Rogers or even if they don't buy it at Presley's or Dunn's and Ira, you know, like Max and when Mo Marsh and Cabela's and all that stuff, when they walk into that store and they see that product there, that gives you some credibility, in my opinion. It also, you know, they might see it, check it out, whatever, and they might buy it six months later or four months later or, you know, I, I don't, I think there's a I think there's a cool, still a really cool place in the, re- in the market, obviously, for retail and a bigger place than a lot of people think. But, you know, some of these direct-to-consumer things, like I said, it all seems like a really good idea at the time until you're sitting there with a zillion dollars worth of product and no guarantee that any of it's going to sell, you know? Um, so not saying that's the wrong way. And if you got the money to do it, that probably makes sense. But um, that's just a, it's just a kind of a different animal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it has to, you know, another thing is Ira, you, you know, we always had at Momarsh, I feel like, you know, you had some guys like obviously you had good relationships with the real, uh, the, um, with the, uh, retail folks, but then you also had people like, like Jeff Watt that were helping out, you know, promote things and, and get things going. I mean, he obviously very strongly believes in the retail model. We've had him on the podcast before. Um, that, you know, that that's another that's a whole other side of it, the relationship side of things with these retailers and kind of the Super. community that some of these relations that these retailers are building.
0: Super important. And, you know, the thing that I think that the, the companies that are really doing well now, they're they've been effective at using social media and whatever, you know, YouTube, but. And, and having events, but, but basically they've been great community builders. Like if you don't, if you're so worried about making money that you're not willing to make people feel like they're part of the team, you're, you're going to struggle to have a good community. In my opinion, if you want a strong community and money is not the top thing that's driving it, you're, you're more worried about how do I engage people? How do I build a strong community? those are the guys that are really going to kick some ass and it's been proven time and time again. I mean, you just look at who's doing well and who's not. And it's, it's, it all boils down to that in today's world. It really does.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I, you know, so Jeff talk about, did you, so when you were, what did your, what did your employer think about when you started kind of doing this stuff? Like, was it like, oh, you, you know, I mean, everybody's situation is different, but I think that's another thing folks would, would think about, you know, and, and kind of worry about.
2: Yeah. So that, that brings up the whole second half of my entrepreneurial journey. Um, so, you know, after that, uh, that waterfowl weekend in August of 2018, um, I had so much interest in the ice ripper, and keep in mind, I was working, you know, a full-time 40, 50, 60 hour week job at that point in time. Um, Rogers presented a purchase order to me that next week, and there was no way, there was no way I could make that purchase order happen and do my, full cho- my full-time job. And, you know, my wife and I had a conversation, and we both decided that it was worth the risk to probably quit my job and pursue j2 outdoors full time and just you know m- make it happen so so that next week after waterfowl weekend I think I, I think I slept on it for that Monday and then I walked into my boss's office on Tuesday and put in my put in my notice and they were my my direct boss was very happy you know he was more of a friend but the upper management up above him was uh, not very happy with my decision because I had obligations there and, uh, you know, work coming up and scheduled. I I couldn't even give them a two week notice. I gave them, I think I gave them a four day notice. I gave them the rest of that week and, uh, told them I just had to do what I had to do. They weren't very happy about it. And, uh, I had always thought about starting my own fire protection business as well. I had actually even started the LLC prior to that, just for some small little, uh, Oh, inspection work on the side and stuff like that. So I already had my own fire protection business going. It was zero revenue at that point in time. And they asked me what I could do to help them. If there was anything I could do to help them finish out their year, finish out all their contracts. And I kind of made a split decision, split second decision there. And I told them the only thing that I could do to help them is if they subcontracted my new fire protection company. To finish out their year, and uh, they were they were kind of caught off guard for a minute and didn't really believe that I was starting my own fire protection company. And I convinced them. And at the end of that conversation, not only had I quit my job to pursue J Two Outdoors full time, I had also uh, in full swing started my new fire protection company. So it was it was an unbelievably stressful next couple months there but it was also really good because i kick-started my fire protection company with a with all of their backlog of work so you know we started we started our company off with six figures of backlog and um obviously a ton of ice rippers to build and that's when the pressure really really hit but they were they were pretty supportive through it all they they had planned on shutting down that division anyways and just liquidating all the assets and um they asked me what all assets i wanted and told me to put a price to it and you know we worked out an agreement and uh yeah it's been it's been really really good ever since i wish i'd have done it years earlier but that opportunity wasn't there years earlier and i definitely got lucky and kind of right place at the right time there's so much
1: to be there's so much to be said for like being you can only be so prepared to do something like that. I mean, you're never going to be, pre- I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to speak for you, but I, I know from my personal experience, when you, when you go ahead and jump off the diving board, you're like, God dang it. I, I, I didn't even think about this or that, or, you know, what am I going to do about this or that? Or I wish I had this in place, but I don't, I'm going to have to save up for this. Cause if you're anything like me, it's like, I knew some of what I needed, but I didn't have any money to do it. And, and not that I, I'm not talking like flat broke, like, not, but I didn't have the extra money laying around to do everything that I needed to do. And, you know, so for some of our guys listening, I'm not asking for numbers, but I mean, like the job that you had, Jeff, <clears throat> the job that you quit, what by, by, you know, rural America, rural Missouri standards, was it a pretty quote unquote good job?
2: Uh, it It was a decent job. You know, I was I was not wealthy by any means, but, you know, on a, on a good year, I was bringing in $70,000 or something. And um,
1: I, I feel like there, I, I, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, Ira, you can think about it too, but I feel like there's a lot of guys that get out of school, whether or not they have a degree. Maybe they go in the trades, maybe they're in like, a, you know, a, a seasonal job, like maybe a pipelining job or or a boiler making job where it's, you know, you make really good money for six months and then you're out for a while, or maybe you, you go into a sales job. I remember ag retail is, is what I was in, but you know, there's a lot of guys that come out of these. I'm talking about guys like us that, that want a duck hunt, that want a little bit of freedom that, you know, want to make some money. And I feel like there's a lot of guys in that 45 to $75,000 range. And depending on where you're living and what you're doing and what your situation is, you know, you hear this from, you know, people, let's say you're making 50 to 70 grand, you know, you hear from your parents or older people in town, God damn, that's a pretty good job. I'd kill for that. You know, hell, that's great for around here. It's like, it is. And and you hear people, you know, you hear people that are in that between thing. Like, hey, man, I make 50, 60 grand, 70 grand. I have a little bit of freedom, but, man, I wish I could take that next step. And, you know, when you're making 50 grand or 60 grand, it doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't seem like you have a lot of extra money. Then when you quit your job, uh hoping to make 30 in my, in my case, 50, 60 grand seems like a whole hell of a lot. It's like, no, wait a minute. I just quit something that I was making pretty decent money at. I went to making nothing, hoping to get back up to the decent money that I was making. I'd be ecstatic if I, I'm taking a risk chance to try to make what I was making guaranteed. So it's an interesting, it's just an interesting way to look at it. But I feel like there's a lot of folks that sit there and they're like, man, I make decent money now. I can't afford to quit. You know, you see a lot of guys that, that like have a side business, but like you're like you're saying, at some point, when you have an opportunity in front of you, where like that Rogers con- order that you had, I mean, you had to make that decision pretty quick. And and it sounds like it was a decision you were you you know you were confident in making. But that's still like walking. I don't care how big of balls you got. I don't care you know how wide of shoulders you got. When you walk in there and tell them you're quitting, that's kind of I mean that's a suck. That's a a feeling that isn't fun to necessarily you know a conversation not necessarily fun to have.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it wasn't a very fun conversation, especially, you know, they, they were already planning on shutting that division down. So we were already to like a skeleton crew anyways. Um, I was very, very crucial in finishing out their year and, um, you know, but they were also very, very happy whenever I offered to finish out their year under my new fire protection company. So, you know, it, it was good for them. It was great. I mean, it was, it was really great for me, but, um, it was definitely a risk. There was hopefully some reward to that risk. And, you know, now being five years later, it's, it's really paid off and I, I couldn't see it ever playing out any other way, but it, it was a, it was a very hard decision to make because keep in mind, I had just built a brand new house. I had just had twin daughters. I already had a son. Um, so, you know, we've got, we just got married too. you know, not long before that. So it was, it was a huge year um, huge couple of years there and, uh, very, very scary, very risky. Um, but now that it's all played out, it's, uh, it's been a great reward for us as well.
0: Well, I think that's what keeps a lot of people from doing things that they would be very successful in is the risk. Um, you know there's going to be a lot of hard work, a lot of sleepless nights, and you're going to lose money in the beginning. You're lucky if you break even or make a little, you know, you had some insurance listening to your story yesterday on, you know, some under financing of the equipment and, and working that relationship to where, you know, it could continue on and you knew you were going to have some income there and you had the PO from Rogers, but like, you know, when we started our first clinic, we, we started one and built one at the same time, and I think in the first six months, I worked at the emergency clinic at night, slept on the floor. It didn't even go home. I'd go to the office when I was done, sleep on the floor until someone came in. They'd come wake me up, and I'd go see them, and I think in that first six months, Aaron and I lost about $150,000 that we didn't have, and it took us a couple of years just to get back to where we are broke even um and that was only because we were working at night as well and uh you know people now i feel guilty sometimes I'm, i mean heck i don't know how i think i've only missed one or two days of the season so far i don't
1: feel guilty god damn no i do sometimes i mean a little bit come on You're not I mean, not guilty enough to not go
0: a little bit of guilt but uh but i'm like you know there was no guarantee that that we were even gonna make it and it definitely wasn't because i was sitting on my hands um just hoping that people came through the door. I mean, we were working our ass off and, and that's just part of the trade-off. But like I said, yesterday, and like I've said a million times, take your risk when you're young, what are they going to take from you? You don't have anything. What do you have to lose? I mean,
1: that was the thing that was kind of hard for me to, it wasn't hard for me to deal to, to come to terms with, but I remember when I was talking with Ira about quitting where I was working at, it's like, man, I hate to give that up and this and that he's like, well, one thing is if you fail, you have nothing to lose. And it's like, you know, as a 20-some-year-old person, you're sitting there like, well, what do you mean I have nothing to lose? I've got this and that and this. When you really think about it, you really don't have much to lose. I didn't at the time. Jeff, obviously.
0: Uh, I mean, it's not like you won't be able to get another job if it doesn't work.
1: I mean. But the bank's not going to – I mean, they don't want half of nothing. Jeff had uh, Jeff was had built a house. I mean, there's you know, so that's a little bit different. But like me.
0: Yeah, but he was, probably had no – you
1: know. No, I know. At least, but I was – I was living in junk, literally a falling in house, falling in around us. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, man, I got, you know, a little bit of money in the bank, which I, which is laughable. But in my, I mean, it was, it was a big deal to me, you know, that's why I'd saved up. And, you know, it's like, I, I mean, but if you really get down to it, I had some money in the bank in a savings account, a shotgun, a bow and arrow and a, uh, feet on board range. A Ford Ranger. So that was what I had. So after I sit down there and really take inventory, and you talk about really knocking you down a level, um, making yourself a little uh little balance sheet and uh, kind of a list of things, you you don't need to you don't get writers cramp listing that shit out. It's like, boy, this is a joke at the end of the day. And uh it's like boy, I, I literally I thought I was like, I literally don't have anything that I own. And this is a humbling feeling. There's nothing that I own that anyone would want. But think about that. Think about that. Like if you're sitting there and that's what I, that's when I decided to quit my job and my job was awesome. The guy I worked for, I learned more from him than, than anybody. Dude is the best business. You know, one of the best businessmen I have ever had the chance to meet. I see one of my biggest customers now. He's awesome. It's not like he wasn't, you know, if I would have stayed the course, you know what I was doing, I, you know, it would have been awesome. and, And I was on track for something great, but I just am not wired that way. But I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, not literally, maybe my dog, which was a good, she was a good dog. That is the only thing that I think I could even give someone that I have. Nobody wants my beat up piece of shit shotgun. Nobody wants this junk ass truck. The, I don't even own this house and it's falling in. Um, I have nothing that anyone would want. So it's like, I got to start building something that's actually worth something. So, you know, I, I want to be able to buy a rental house, a property of this, of that, of this, of that. I want to be able to buy a a farm. I want to be able to buy this. I want to be able to own a house. Like, you know, for me, it was like at that realization, like I literally have nothing to lose. And if I can, you know, I can live on my savings for a while. So it's like if we freaking strike out, you know, it'll be a funny story. and, And I'll just go back to work somewhere else or try to get another job. So, you know, you think you have a lot to lose at a certain point in time. You know, like when you're younger, you think, boy, I don't want to lose everything or I've got to risk it there ain't nothing to risk. You know, in my, in my case, there was nothing to risk. It seemed like it was the only thing I risked was losing a a, a job that, you know, that I, that I really did enjoy. And it was a good job and it was a great, you know, in this community, I live in Salisbury. So what I was, you know, was risking was there's not a lot of quote unquote, great jobs here, you know, and that was a, that was a good job on track for an even better, a better job. And so that was my little bit of risk, but it's still like when you're sitting there, even though you have nothing, it still seems like, it's still, you know, this is all I got. You know, you hate to feel like you're risking it, but um, it's a jerk. It's a leap.
0: The rest of the story goes like this. Joe comes duck hunting with me and I don't know, there were several of us out there and we were having a good hunt and Joe shows up to the bond where already had several ducks and he goes, if I get my limit today, I'm quitting my job. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. And so, <laughs> here comes some ducks and he shoots one or two and we're like, well, hell we're going to make sure he gets his first, you know? So we're shooting a few more and uh, we still got a few more ducks shooting. Joe says, all right, guys, I'm out of here. And we're like, where are you going? I got to go quit my job. He drove to, he drove to the place and showed up, walked into the boss office and said, I quit. I was like, dang, I need
1: it. That's something. I was thinking about it for a while and I was thinking about it for a while and it was like, you know what? I'm gonna just like I do that I do that in my life. Like I'll just be like I, I make these um and sometimes I have to do it, but like I, you know, work better under a deadline, I guess. But sometimes I'll just make these things and be like, you know what? I'll be duck hunting, be like, I'm gonna give it 17 more minutes. I'm not leaving. I'm gonna give it seventeen minutes. Or you know, I'll be deer hunting and be like, no, I'm gonna stay till noon. And and that's because and I'll think of some reason. So yeah, that day I was driving, I'm like, you know, I I know I need to quit. My business is picking up a little bit. And that's the funny thing about me, Jeff, or you know, your your situation seems to me like You quit, your business has been at a steady incline. You knew it was a a product, it's a product in hand. You know, mine was an idea. Like I want to do marketing for companies and media for companies. It was something that, you know, I thought was some, there was some blue sky in, but like I quit and and it was like, all right, I've got this. No, that person, I guess I suck at marketing because that person closed their business. And the other person uh, basically, it wasn't working out. So it's like, cool. So I start off with three customers. I, within two weeks or a month, I have one. And, uh, yeah, this sucks. So, you know, it, it was a weird trajectory. It was kind of like this. And then it was down. Then it's been, you know, good since. But, um, yeah, I was like, screw it. If I kill this, du- these ducks, I'm going in. You know, I, that was just my ultimatum. Like, I'm doing it. So when I got back, yeah, I remember walking in there. It's like, hey, uh, I got to talk to you about something. And, and I hadn't said anything to anybody about it. Nobody. And, I remember saying like, Hey, I got some, you know, some, some news. And he's like, yeah, what's up. And we talk every day. I mean, got along great. Like, man, uh, I'm going to have to quit. And, and he hit him. He's like, you're kidding. Like what? Like, what do you, you know, what are you? And, you know, I told him and, and he thought about it. He's like, you know what? He's like, I get it. I completely get it. You know, you'll do great. I get it. Um, good luck. And you know, we, we've worked together since uh, in different capacities, but, It was a weird feeling, man. It was really a weird feeling. I'm glad that I did it when I did it, but, uh, but it was an odd feeling doing it. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird. But so, so you're sitting there now, Jeff, you're running J2 and um, you've got your fire protection business. What would, is it, is it, would you, would you say it's 50, 50? Would you say it's, um, what takes up more of your time?
2: Um, As far as time spent, the fire protection business is much, much more time consuming. Um, you know you talk about trajectory and we we have had a very steady steady climb on both businesses Um, but the the biggest thing that we can uh, credit for that is just the team that we've built you know I've heard you guys talk about making sure the right people are around you and the team that you've built Uh, you know my wife she was working a full-time job too when we launched these businesses and about a year later, I believe she quit her full time job because she saw the need. Both businesses were growing. Um, you know, there was stuff that was not getting taken care of properly. I am not a bookkeeper, you know, so she was trying to do everything on evenings and weekends, and you know, she quit her job too, and uh now she works literally right across the table from me every single day. And I couldn't I couldn't see it happening or couldn't have it any other way. Um but yeah, no, it, the fire protection deal is definitely more time consuming, but it's also, it's a larger, um, business for us as well. Not, uh, not crazy bigger as far as revenue dollars coming in, but definitely time spent. Uh, it takes so much time, you know, there's, there's no days off. There's my phone never stops ringing. There's always an emergency call that's gotta be done. And, uh, you know, it it's it's a huge time consuming thing. Whereas Ice Ripper, I have one full time guy, um, and then a couple part-time guys that help out, but it's uh it's a lot easier because we have the off season to catch up on inventory, whereas there is no off season for the fire protection.
1: Gotcha. Well, I mean, when you say the fire protection, I don't wanna like I know our listeners aren't like crazy rabid season ticket holding fire protection fans but what you're talking about like sprinkler systems and things like that
2: yep yep sprinkler systems fire alarm systems um you know we do some fire extinguishers we do some kitchen hood systems pretty much pretty much anything in the fire protection industry um is what we do
1: so so let's hit on j2 then like how has how has your growth been and then how is like? I was looking obviously at the site. Obviously, I follow and see what's going on. But like, the big rip system looks looks badass. I mean, looks like it's a, a bigger unit, like a bigger, um, a, like a monster, really. But yeah, how is your? How has your sales? Obviously, I'm assuming the the original J2 unit, the Ice Ripper unit, is your backbone. You know, is your probably your your flagship product, obviously. But how have some of these other products like? like the grass that you guys launched I actually had a guy, literally a good friend of mine asked me yesterday, I told him we're going to have you on the podcast. And he was like, man, ask him about the grass. He's like, I'm interested in that. You know, like what, how did, how did that all come about? And you know, what, what made that guy, what made the ice ripper guys get into grass, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, <laughs> grass in the, uh, the duck, the duck boat hiding grass type of grass, not the 420 variety, but, um, right. but, but how, how have your secondary products been? Um, and how has growth, how has growth been for you um overall
2: yeah uh obviously yes our our one horsepower electric ice ripper is our backbone it's it's what the whole business is based around but i have always i've you know i'm i'm the generation that grew up on home improvement with tim taylor you know bigger is always better more power more power uh so i've had that idea for the big rip in my head for Shoot, years and I could never figure out the technology to make it happen you know I, I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to go prototype a new device so I I finally came across some technology one day that I was just it, it all clicked I was like yep that's what I need to do that's that's how it's got to be built um, and I built my first one and you know we spent we spent a decent amount of money prototyping that and we got it I've got a you know U.S. Uh, utility patent issued on it. So that's cool to be a United States patent holder. Um, but honestly, the sales on that has kind of not been what I expected, but it is expensive. It's not your weekend warriors type of product. Um, it's, it's a monster. It, it'll do what about four or five of my standard ice rippers do um, as far as water movement and um, hole that it opens up but yeah, it's definitely more of a specialty market guides people that need to open up water really, really quickly, or somebody who wants, who doesn't have power to their blind, who wants to open up like an acre of water can just put in one unit instead of five. Um, it's, it's definitely educating the market on what it exactly is. You know, I've had more conversations about how it works and, uh, trying to just educate people on how, why it's better for them. Um, you don't have to buy a generator it might be more expensive but by the time you buy four standard ice rippers and generators to power it all it's half price of what you would spend that way Um, but it's a much smaller market Um, and then as far as the grass goes I don't know I don't know how much detail I really want to get into on why I started that but it was uh, it was kind of great what was that
0: I said it's a good story
2: it's a good story, and I, I just don't know if it's a public story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree.
2: But yeah, I can I can definitely tell that story to you, Joe. Behind, sure, not sure, on, not on but, camera. But uh, anyways. But
1: mainly just like uh, yeah, and and I don't we don't have to get in any trade secrets or anything like that. But I mean, basically, obviously, you saw a need for you saw a need for that product, and how has that product? How long has it been out, and and what are your thoughts on the sales of it so far?
2: Uh, you know, I, I ordered a bunch a couple of years ago to try out and uh but we due to some industry patents on similar products, we kind of held off on launching it until the patent was uh public and I could do my homework to make sure I wasn't getting myself into any legal trouble. And uh we just launched it two weeks ago. Um ordered two containers of it in. Rogers took a ton. Um presley's will have it in stock next uh next year they didn't want to stock it this year but they're planning on doing it next year uh and we're we're selling it pretty steadily it's it's another one of those things educating the market you know we've been we've been a de-icing company for so long and now we have to tell people that we're selling camouflage as well
1: uh what does it what does it fit best on like a like a panel blind like a boat like a
2: uh yeah we we use them as base layers on our boats uh, layout boats um I just did a uh, an 18 foot Excel for a guy um I use it on my my Invisalab you know it's a it's a great base layer um, on an Invisalab or Invisimint or uh I know a, a friend of mine owns Blind Spot Outdoors he he sells floating skid blinds um we, we sell some to, for his blinds as a good base layer, county line boats, we, uh, move some of it for base layers on their boats. Um, but yeah, it's a really, really good base layer. I'm not saying it's, it's the end of your camouflage, but it's a really, really good base. And then you can kind of top dress it with some, uh, some smart or millet or whatever you're hunting in just to kind of blend it in better. But, um, yeah, I, I saw a need for it to be a little bit cheaper than, and more accessible, I guess, than what was already on the market. Um, and I just like anything else, I just, uh, put my mind to it and made it happen. Cool. I mean, you know, that's,
1: you know, that's a, that's a cool thing. I mean, you know, when you look at, when you look at companies that add product lines, you know, that's always a little bit of a risk, too. You know, obviously, you know, you're taking a container and whatever you're doing. But it, I find it interesting what some guys will try to add to their lineup and what, you know, what some guys won't. But at least, you know, in your in your line here, a lot of your customers are going to be the same guys. You know, a lot of your customers are going to be, hey, we're going to grab an, you know, oh, the, I, I didn't know the Ice Ripper guy sold this stuff. Well, hell, we'll just get it from him. You know, I feel like it's a pretty cool addition to the line. I don't know anything about the product, that product line or, or that how manufacturing or all that stuff goes. But so just from an outsider's point of view, it's kind of a cool addition.
2: Yeah, no. And and it definitely helps to have a cheaper product. You know, we are such an expensive, I say expensive, we are a higher end higher dollar product, So our sales are definitely more seasonal based um, through the season and to have a cheaper product on our website that people can buy in the off season or, you know, if someone in July buys an Invisilab and they want to grass it, it gives, it gives our customers something to, uh, something to buy outside of the season, outside of the prepping time. And then it shows, you know, we, we move some units at the shows that we go to, but a lot of times people don't want to spend that kind of money right then. So it just gives us something cheaper to market as well. Um, as as far as dollars spent you know it's it's still a great product it's not cheaply built or anything like that but it it gives us a different uh you know a different price point to try to market
1: makes sense makes sense. you get more more contact you know with people too you know and obviously and that's under the j2
2: brand correct correct yep it's uh it's called our last grass it's the it's a plastic um you know fire retardant mildew proof it's uh it's the last grass that you're ever going to have to put on your blind.
1: I like it. I like it. Ira, you've done kind of that kind of thing, put a base layer on before and you know, like some of your shit would have a base layer on it and then you would kind of add, add natural stuff too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think uh, I saw it yesterday. I think it's pretty cool. Um, I do think that it's going to last a long time and, you know, I the I de- raffia gets heavy when it's wet, it lays flat. You know, this stuff's a lot stiffer and has uh, it's not gonna get near as heavy when it gets wet and all that. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, I'm having Jeff send me some, I'm excited to try it. You know, try it. And yeah, the stuff that was on his Invisalab for the last four years, uh, that's testimonial to the grass and to the product itself.
1: But, I wonder, yeah. I wonder how that would work. I wonder how that would work at um, like on the Versablon. Uh, I'm
0: sure it'd be great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Makes, makes sense. Jeff, how much are you able to, how much are you able to duck hunt now Um, with both of these businesses rocking and rolling? um, Are you still able to get out quite a bit? I mean, um, some of the busiest guys I know are businessmen that, that duck hunt as well. Cause you're gonna, you know, a lot of guys are there. I'm going to find time to go. So, um, you know, it just adds, it just adds a little bit more, but, Are you, are you the guy that's like, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to get as much as I can? Or are you the guy that's like, man, I got to work so much. I don't get to go as much as I'd like.
2: Uh, I guess I'm kind of a happy medium. You know, I'm, I'm kind of lucky in a sense that one of my business is in the waterfowl industry. So that does open up some opportunity. Um, you know, as far as like going up and spending the day with IRA yesterday, if I was just in the fire protection business, I wouldn't have that contact or that opportunity, um, so yeah, it, it opens up some doors, but it also, you know, at the end of the day, I've got two businesses to run and I can't, I can't put the whole weight of that on my wife's shoulders to be in the office running it. I can't put it on my guy's shoulders. Um, so I kind of have to lead by example a lot of times and be in the office when I wish I was out duck hunting, but at the same time I get to go on some cool, cool adventures as well. So I, I definitely make time for it. Um, I will say that if if anybody, you know, is thinking about being an entrepreneur and thinks that it's just this easy, you know, I'll work, I'll wake up at noon, I'll go into the office for four hours, um, you know, and I'll make a million dollars a year. That is not the case, not the case at all. You will work more than you've ever worked in your entire life for probably less money. And uh, it's, uh, it's a ton of work and you got to... I- you got to be disciplined enough to do the work when the work needs done, not when you want to do the work.
1: At the end of the day, it's got to be pretty cool to see your product at some of these badass places, you know, some of these cool spots. And, you know, it's got to be – there has to be a sense of pride, like whether you even know the guy or not. You know, I'm sure there's times when – social media post or whatever you might just see it in the background or you know hear people talking about it they might not know you or know who makes it or whatever you know they just hey i've got this product and it works that has to be cool to see something that you kind of thought up and created being in use at all these different spots i mean that that has to be kind of cool sense of ownership pride
2: no you're you're absolutely right and probably one of my most proud days was yesterday you know yesterday we pulled the plug at heaven on some competitors products and we plugged in ice rippers and uh I got to do that alongside a uh, IRO you know industry guy that's been in the industry for years and he chose my product over another and uh th- that was a very very proud moment yesterday
1: Ira what are we going to do now about the the uh the cavitating gurgling crazy sound not being there anymore that's going to be weird hunting there
0: well, we won't need as many pin oak branches because I go through about 40 of them a year putting them on top of the, the little suction siphon there to eliminate the monster of wherever hole we're hunting. So it'll be great. Less work.
1: You talk about freaking, but you talk about freaking uh, loud. You know, how many bunches, I, I would hate to know how many ducks, I mean.
0: Things have saved so many ducks lives. It's
1: unbelievable. You're working a group of 15 or 20 ducks or whatever in, in heaven and here they come, here they come. They get to the treetops and like what is going on i mean the first time i heard it i was like somebody choking in a bind like what is going on but uh that's the thing i like about them too and and uh, about your product is like i don't know it just i just really like it and another thing is the way that your product is set up not with the four pieces of square tubing i tear a lot less waiters on your product than i did on the other one
2: yeah yeah, we definitely try to make it pretty easy to get a hold of and easy to adjust and um rounded corners where all the rounded corners need to be. Uh, it's a it's definitely a product for waterfowl hunting designed by a Waterfowl Hunter.
1: If a guy wants to buy your product, um if a, obviously guys follow along on social media with J2, um and you can see all the stuff J2 Ice Ripper on Instagram. I'm looking at it right now. Um you can see the product in use and you can see some of the different setups of people that are using them. But if a guy wants to like, all right, I want, I know I need to keep my, you know, water open at, at a certain spot. And I, I, you know, man, it's just like, it's that tipping point of water. I mean, I always loved to duck on, I didn't have the money to buy an, uh, an ice eater and a generator and all this shit. So it's like, you're out there busting ice and you got fishing, fishing uh, dip nets, trying to net the ice. It just, just absolute joke. And it's just so frustrating. So, Hey, I'm gonna make the plunge. I'm gonna buy an ice ripper. What do I need in order to to get set up? How much money am I looking at spending? Obviously, an ice ripper, a base ice ripper, is how much, and then what else do I need to keep my water open other than just the base ice ripper? What powers that, and what kind of cost are we looking at there?
2: Yeah, so uh, so our base ice ripper starts at uh, 750, and that's that's the one horsepower with the stand, hundred foot cord. Um, So yeah, you'll need that $750 investment. We ship everything for free, Um, but then also you'll need uh, some sort of generator or if you're fortunate enough to have power to your blind, obviously you can skip the generator portion, but uh, you need a 2000 watt generator. A lot of people go for the Hondas. I don't really like the Hondas. They're a great unit. There's nothing wrong with them. They're still probably the best on the market but they are by far the most expensive on the market too. And I've had just as good of luck, if not better luck out of some of the generators, you know, Generac, Briggs and Stratton makes one, even down to the Harbor Freight generators. I've had phenomenal luck with a bunch of those. So you'll need to get a generator, 2,000 watt, anywhere from, you know, $500 on the low end for like a Harbor Freight, all the way up to say 1200, $1,300 for a Honda. so
1: for two so, yeah. thousand dollars, whichever route you go, for two thousand you can be into a, a unit, absolutely, or absolutely. or maybe even fifteen hundred or less, depending on which route you go. Yeah. Yep. So guys, you know, and you think about, and I used to try to break this down for people when we go to the shows at Momarsh, and they would be like, God damn, you know, x amount of hundred dollars for a for a Invisi Man, man, you know, it's even more. It's you know an Invisi Man or or an Invisi or whatever. Your other option is, you know, a layout blind or you can try to hide in the brush and you can, you know, it's a pain in the ass, but you can still do it or try to build a blind. Okay, that's, at least you have some options. On on opening ice and keeping it open, you don't have any options. I mean, you can go lay in the brush all you want and open some ice. You're still going to have a freaking skating rink. You know, like, you have to have something to keep it open. So, the way I always looked at it, it's like, all right, so it's $1,500. Let's say there's 15 days that you need to keep ice open. If you live in Missouri, there's probably going to be more than that. But if there's only 15, it's a hundred bucks a day. One on a hundred bucks a day, ice hole hunting can be some of the best hunting there is. We had an amazing hunt on Sunday. It's worth to me a hundred dollars a day to, to do that. But then you take it and you divide it out over 10 years. Now it's $10 a day to have a badass ice hole set up, ready to rock. You know, if there's two guys on a hole for $5 a day, or if you're, or if you're in Missouri and it's a thirty to for two dollars and fifty cents a day, to have a to have an open hole, that's an investment. That's not an expenditure. You know, the expenditure is the, you know, trying to rig up trolling motors and going three hours early and trying to bust shit and tearing waders and all. You know, it doesn't matter how you look at it. And what money you think you're going to save, I'm just telling you, at $1,500, you're not going to save money if it's something you're planning to use quite a bit. Like, there's no way to save money that's going to be better and work better than one of these units. There's just not. I mean, everybody's tried everything. There's just not a way that's available right now on the market that is going to be a more economically feasible thing to do that's going to actually work, you know, that's going to work. Like, you know, I turned mine on the other day or yesterday. Turned it on yesterday morning at 9 o'clock. I go back at 11.45. Our timber hole is wide open. You know what I mean? Just absolutely perfect. Looks good. Throw the decoys out and hunt, you know? And so— That's just kind of the point I want to get across, Jeff. It's like, yeah, it's a a higher ticket item, you know, as far as, you know, expenditures go, it costs more than a dozen decoys or it costs more than whatever. But I would just be willing to say that other than your gun and maybe your waiters, there's nothing that you need more than to be able to keep your hunting hole open. So if you guys are thinking about it, think about it like that, you know, divide it out over 10 years, divide it out over five years. And and, uh, if there's a couple of you paying for it, all of a sudden it's free pretty much, you know, to have it if you're going to use it for a while.
2: Right. Then you you also have to take into account, you know, there's a lot of people that rig up homemade stuff. And my very first unit, it was a homemade unit too. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you have problems with that unit, my personal phone number is on my website. The email on our website goes to my personal email. So um, I stand by everything. I, I talk to people. I, I answer questions all the time. Um, So if you need someone to get a hold of, it's it's right there, right at your fingertips. You don't have to go through some computer animated, you know, bot or whatever. It you pick up the phone, you call me and I, I fix your issue for you.
1: And and obviously you've got a you've got a little bit of a fabrication background to be able to do all this stuff.
2: Uh slightly. Yeah. You know, growing up a country boy in Missouri, you kinda you kinda learn those things along the way and collaborate. I've got a little bit of a fabrication background as well. My brothers have fabrication backgrounds and uh, we kind of lean on, lean on other people.
1: Makes sense. I, you know, I've enjoyed this one, this conversation, Jeff, just because it's like, I can draw some parallels to what I'm, what, what I've kind of gone through, but, but more so because I feel like there's a lot of guys that might be in your situation that might be listening right now. And there's a lot of guys that might be like, man, I, you know, at the, I guess what the point I want to get across about what you're doing is like at the end of the day, guys, when you're listening to this, it's not some rich dude that invested in a in a company that was like, you know, I, I've i got 18,000 acres that I need to keep open. Them. I'm going to make this. I've, I've just thought of this. You know, this is a guy that's literally trying to pay for daycare. So these badass products that you're seeing come out of necessity of somebody that was trying to get by you, for lack of a better term, you know, to to make things work within his family and some challenges, not challenges, but like. Having kids and paying for a house and just the normal challenges that we all have—that's what this product was born out of a necessity for. So it's like you can make a badass product with with a badass idea, and you don't have to be some big corporation to do that. Like I mean, you can do that as an individual. And you know, and another thing, there was already a Mallard View Ice eater on the market. Nothing against those at all. And so it's another thing to think. Well, you know, there's already this, there's already that. He made it better. He made it. He made it easier to handle. He made it more economical. He made it, you know, able to go in in shallower water. So there's sometimes there's a way that you can make an existing thing better from the from sitting at your kitchen table thinking about it and and you know making making stuff up. I guess what I'm saying is it's not the be- biggest and best products and the industry leading products. Sometimes they're not as they're not coming from the place that you think they are. They're coming from literally a guy in his garage, you know, and that, and that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You got to start somewhere.
0: i something kind of off topic, just real quick. Um, Why don't you give our listeners just a little perspective on, on what you and Carter uh, just, you know, it's, it's a, yesterday had to be a different experience for you guys from, hunting the lake and hunting different places um just w- give them a little insight into <laughs> what you guys experience was like yesterday
2: yeah i, I would love to do that it, it was it was very very cool um you know going from driving around all the different properties that you guys have and manage and seeing what it what goes into managing those properties and how much work and effort is actually taken and how much financial expense it's just uh it's it's mind blowing to me, but yeah, we we normally hunt public land, uh, Truman Lake, uh, you know, Grand Pass if we're lucky. It's a little bit of private farm ponds here and there, but it was it's it's truly amazing to see what you guys have built there and uh, what it what it takes to um, what it takes to manage that stuff. I mean, that one piece of property that we hunted being what'd you say eight hundred acres or something? That's that's just something that the average person will never get to experience never get to see and uh, to see uh, to see it firsthand like that it it was crazy Carter you know hunting in that big blind fighting up through that brush it was a little tricky for him but uh, I feel like he he had a great time he told me on the way home that he had a blast Um, I, I hope we get to do more of it but yeah going from public to you know just driving the ranger up to a a blind like that driving driving past you know four or five other blinds exactly like it on the way in and uh it's 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 truly something special that you guys have built up there and uh, I'm, I'm glad you i'm glad you let us be a part of it for a day that's a pure man
0: and you know remember it wasn't you know when i was in my 20s and and even my 30s uh heck, I was doing the same thing. I didn't have anywhere to go hunting. I was just hoping that someday I could have mud holes somewhere, even if it wasn't very good, uh, that, that I could go and know I had a spot to hunt, you know, and things, things change. So, um, but yeah, man, it it's, uh, it's pretty cool and and glad that you guys were able to come up and, and go on. Yeah.
2: No, it, it is, it is truly something special. And, you know, like you said, you, You've hunted a lot of the same spots that I hunt currently right now. And, you know, one day I I, uh, I hope I'm more in your shoes and have somewhere permanent to lay my, put my muddy boots and, um, you know, take care of property like you guys do. And it, it's it's really special what you guys have up there.
0: Well, and I do want to say one more thing. And I told you this yesterday, but even even if it seems like it's gonna be a financial burden or challenge or risk when you're young and you don't have a lot of money, the opportunity to get a good duck hunting spot isn't always there. So I would encourage you and, and everybody else, if you get a chance to get your foot in the door on a good piece of recreational property, Man, try and make it happen because, you know, it's not like the value of that property is going to go to zero. It's probably going to go up, be very likely to go up, be very unlikely to go down. But the chances that you're going to come across another one in your lifetime, not very high. So, you know, I, you know, it do what you can to try to take any advantage that you can would be my recommendation of getting in on a good duck hunt spot when the opportunity presents itself, even if it's painful or risky, um, because you might not have another chance until you're gone.
1: The, the thing about it is, is like though, it's kind of like the business thing you were saying, Jeff. It's like all of a sudden one day you you're building them in your garage, and then the next day you've got an order from Rogers, and you're quitting your job. You know, like it's like how in the hell did that just happen? You know, like uh, Sunday we had a really good hunt at our place, and it was like I was talking with another guy that came along as a guest, and he has a spot too, and we were talking about. It. He's like, you know, a few years ago I was like, man, if I just had one spot that I could go. I don't even care how good it is. Like you know, he was talking about other places they were looking at spots. It's like, you know, I just was looking for one spot that I would be so awesome where I don't have to go to Fountain Grove or Grand Pass to to try to know I can hunt. You know, and I was like, dude, I get it. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. You think you can find, you know, and people that have spots are, oh, you'll find some. You know, yeah, it's easy for you to say when you have a spot, you know, but whenever you do find one, I remember standing there. I was standing there Sunday, and I was like, man, this is badass. You know, like, and and. And that just happened like that. It's like, you know, you got to be ready to do it. Then you do it. And it's like, wow, this is crazy. So it, it's kind of, it all comes at you quick. It's kind of like business. It's like, all of a sudden you don't have something then all of a sudden you do. So, um, you know, I don't know, like Ira said, it, it, never the right time, but but Locust Grove is is got to be, you know, it's one of the best places in the whole area. It's, you know, bar, you know, borderline the best place in the whole area and, and that, that's private. And then it's just crazy how, it's just crazy how much work it actually does take. You know, when I first started coming around, they didn't have any equipment really. You know what I mean? Like nothing. I'm, I vividly remember like, oh, we need to knock some weeds down in this hole so we can hunt. Ira, sound, which sounds so stupid. Ira on a $20,000 Ranger, me on a four-wheeler and Aaron on a $15,000 Ranger driving circles to try to knock weeds down because nobody had a reliable mower. All we had was a, that pull-behind shit. Ira, I had one and Ira had one. Just junk shit and you know so we're we're driving $50,000 worth of side by sides around being like man I wish we had a $4,000 tractor and mower but maybe one day but uh that kind of stuff you know is like it, uh I remember Ira took the side off of the one tractor they did have and used it to block up a a um water uh, a pipe so you know to like suck up against the <laughs> pipe which, what'd you say
0: I still use which, the same which,
1: which that is a that is a goddamn joke. I mean that that that's ridiculous. The the water blocking things that you did is 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 absolutely ridiculous and I I can't I can't support them. But but it hey, was
0: I, I don't think I ever told you this story, but back in the day, uh me and Mervs and Jim Richter were hunting down in uh <clears throat> the Oric bottoms and we had permission on this piece of property and it rained and and we wanted to block this uh this tube where water was draining, so we drove through town. It was Halloween stole somebody's pumpkin out of their yard, uh, a plywood pumpkin decoration and went and put that over the tube to catch all the water. Now that's water control. Now
1: that's pretty <laughs> solid. I mean, yeah, it's like we're driving through. It's like, I guess, again, I remember vividly. It's like, and another time I remember um, Aaron and I were swimming in Locust Creek during duck season. Trying to get those warthog pumps, uh, or not the warthog pumps, but the the pumps back. Trying to find them, <laughs> and and but when Iroh did that tractor side thing, that bullshit. We're riding on a brand new Ranger on a piece of property that money couldn't buy, but if it could, it'd be millions of dollars. And it's like, yeah, man, trying to get this piece of metal shoved up against this deal, so we can we put in a hundred thousand dollars this year into this, but it all relies on this rusty Alice Chalmers tractor quarter panel, but. uh <laughs> It's just kind of funny. It, it, you know, and one last thing I'll leave with, it is kind of fun, Jeff. I know it's hard to realize at the time, but when you're building the stuff in your garage and you don't have any customers and you're just trying to get one sale and blah, blah, blah. Ira, same with you at the boats or, you know, warehousing stuff this and there and and every which way that part, when you look back at that is fun and exciting times, you know, so people that think that, you know, yeah, it sucks starting a business sometimes, but it is fun and it's exciting and those are good memories.
2: Absolutely. is. Um, some of the, some of those days I'll never forget for the rest of my life. You know, my, my wife and my son being out there trying to help just box up the few units that we do have to sell. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Some most exciting and most memorable times right there.
1: If you could do, if you could look into the future a little bit, as far as J2 is concerned, what are you, what are you excited about? Um, and what are you, what are your thoughts? Like in the future, does growth for you come from new product additions or does it come from just more brand awareness? And like, are you just excited about seeing more people see your product and, and, you know, be exposed to your product? And and do you feel like the growth will come that way and, and just kind of what, what kind of excites you looking down the road?
2: Uh I, I definitely think growth is gonna come from more brand awareness for us. Um I've said earlier in the podcast I'm not the world's best marketer, you know. Um and half of the shows we get to um so yeah, I mean we just we gotta get our name out there more. We gotta hit up more shows, we gotta just get in front of more people, but the the biggest thing for me through all these years of growth has been controlled growth. You know, I, we try to control our growth and we don't overextend ourselves and it might, it might slow our growth down, but it doesn't put us in near as the risky spot as, as it would if we were building, you know, $2 million worth of inventory at a time and we only sold 500,000 or something, you know, that that's risky. So we try to control our growth as much as we can and not overextend ourselves more than what we're kind of projecting for the year.
1: Makes sense. And then, you know, I think from, from my position, looking at, at J2, it's like, I'm excited for you guys because it just seems like every time that I go hunting with someone, they're like, uh, it's funny. Cause they'll be like, yeah, I've got an ice eater and it's actually an ice ripper, you know? And, and they'll be right. like, have you seen these things like I'm fuck they're way easier and better and blah blah blah. It's funny to see that because it's like yeah, I mean, uh I've had one for a while and I think they're badass and you know, it's just funny to see people start seeing that for themselves as well. And it's like like I said it's kind of funny how Mallard View kind of made the put the ice eater name on the on the map. You know, it's like it's like people calling, you know, other kinds of uh, you know, other kinds of uh of ATVs rangers. You know, it's just like But, but then you look around, it's like, that's not an ice here. That's an ice ripper. So like I said, it's cool that it's cool that you're kind of taking over uh, that spot and it's pretty cool to see it. So, I mean, congrats on all your, all your success, man. Congrats for taking the risk and congrats for um, keeping this thing growing and, and a family business and bringing another business to rural, rural Missouri, rural America. that's, that's a risk in itself. That's tough. It's hard to find help. It's hard to, it's hard to uh, strategize and, and logistic, logisticize, getting everything done, but, but man, it's cool. And I'm, I'm happy for you and we really appreciate you coming on and having a talk with us.
2: Yeah. I I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Hopefully I wasn't uh, too much of a bumbling mess for you there. No, no more, no more than I am.
1: Uh, Ira, I was just telling him, um, I was just telling him thanks for coming on because I thought it was really, really an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, man, I think it's a good perspective and and uh, interesting. and You know, hopefully, again, hopefully somebody out there says, you know what, I'm going to quit this grind and go try something, and, and they're the next product that we're all looking to have in our duck holes or in our house or wherever.
1: Another thing, uh, the last thing I'm going to say about the Ice Ripper and product-wise is, like, I feel like a way for guys, it's people can get innovative and and they can have an awesome idea. But at the end of the day, for a duck hunter, there's a aspect of simplicity that still is going to, you know, in the in the in the heat of things, I want something that's simple. You know, I I was working on some products the other day with a buddy of mine, not working on making them, working on setting them up in our duck hole. And it's just like, you know, with ice eater or the, I'm sorry let me take that back with the ice ripper an ice eater type product you throw it in you turn it on and you're good to go like some of these products is like well you got to go string this up then you got to hook these then you got to do that then you got to jack with this battery then you got to go over here then you got to I mean it's like hey man a- after step 2 get it the get it away from me I'm not using it you know I and I and I understand that they could that some of these things can help I'm just the type of guy that's like get all this shit out of here like I'm done with it the thing I like about something like the ice ripper is it's a self-contained – I mean, it's simple. It's simple. You plug it, you literally plug and play, and there's not a bunch of other crap that you got to do. And so something to keep in mind for you innovators out there, like, no matter how badass something is, it's got to be something that is user-friendly at the end of the day, too. Because, you know, if, if it's a million moving parts and all this stuff you got to add on, and there's boxes and instructions that come with it that it takes a, you know, biochemistry major to be able to read – you've lost you've lost me i maybe i'm the only one but i appreciate a a unit like yours that's easy to use and that works good and that has minimal you know points of contention or, or break points and and just is a is a badass unit so um i just wanted to throw that out there too
2: yeah no thank you we definitely we definitely think there's value in keeping things simple
1: Makes sense. Well, I don't know, Ira, I'm sure you're going out hunting today, so we won't keep you, but uh, I don't know what your plan is, but I, I would assume, with this as cold as it is, a late a late morning to midday hunt. What time is it? 10.25. Yeah,
0: yeah. we're going to wrap this thing up, I'm going to put on some socks and get old Cash and the Wheeler and go hunt with Aaron and his buddy, and then I got the whole Higdon crew coming in this afternoon, so.
1: Man, try to. Try to hang in there. I know how guilty you must feel about heading out, man. Good thing I got to do some
0: work today. I mean, you know, when they show up, it's it's actually work. So yeah, I can check that box.
1: I I hope you guys get them. Are you guys going to the Old Faithful?
0: Oh God, they, yep. Aaron wants to go there, so that's where we're going. I wouldn't mind trying some, but yeah. man, it sure is like uh, it's like free break, free base and cocaine. Once you start, it's just hard to quit.
1: Well, once you, yeah, once you once you beat that ass every day, it's hard to not, not want to go there.
0: Every person that's hunted money every day this year has killed their limit, except for one day when Shoop was in there shooting two and three-quarter-inch sevens. They came out with seven somehow. But other than that, that one day we have a, a, a streak of six ducks per person in that blind.
1: That's decent. Yeah, had worse. Yeah. That's decent. Uh, I can't respect it because there's not been any geese killed there, so I'm trying to think. No. To say, uh, but no. Well, Jeff, thank you for your time, dude. I know you're a busy guy. Um, thank you very much for coming on. Love to see the success, guys. Follow him on on social media, and if you're looking for an ice, um, an ice destroying product, um, if you're looking for something to keep your hole open, check him out. Check out his website and just see for yourself what it can do and how much more cost effective it can be than maybe what you have in your mind um and and that's what i would say so thank you very much jeff we appreciate you guys for listening everybody hopefully you have a good duck season continuing on and uh we'll we'll catch you next time
2: yeah thank you guys i appreciate it see y'all
1: perfect thank you jeff i'll let you know when it runs when this when this airs okay cool. thanks buddy appreciate it no problem. All, all right you. see ya